Hangover Packers fans, we got a special surprise for you. This is the first Cheesehead Hangover when one of us is hungover. Welcome to the first day after Election Day. Uh, it is November 4th. Uh, this is Garrison Anderson coming to you and sitting across from me is my lovely sister, Sarah Anderson. Hello, people. Uh, and we're here. We're here to talk about everything Packers this week in the NFL. Um, but how are you feeling, Sarah? Me? Uh, well, I'm at least feeling better than you are. Mm-hmm. However, it has been a heck of a week. We have a Packers loss on Sunday. And then Monday is Monday. And then Tuesday, like, should have been a federal holiday. However, instead of being a federal holiday, we get that random day off in October. So depending upon where you fall, that could be, you know, Columbus Day, Indigenous Peoples Day. There's a few other names for it. Why we have that holiday, I I know why, but... (sighs) Anyway, yesterday should have been the federal holiday. But you know what? People, you you got it done. Turnout this year was amazing, and now we just need to count all of those votes. Exactly. And it's going to take a while because they came, you know, I'm sure some came by plane, train, automobile, pack mule, walking, biking, flying, <laughs> who knows the various modes of transportation you all use to get your votes in, but we did it. We all voted. You, you better have voted. And now we wait as they're counted which is almost worse than all the campaigning that went before because we don't know and as we sit here on october 4th we still we don't know so all right hey but we have football and not only do we have football this week we have it tomorrow night we have it tomorrow thursday night however before we dive into the games uh that went on this past week we should at least probably mention the highlight of uh this being a COVID game in exactly. some respects so, with, yeah, go ahead. So take, I was just going to say, this is, this is a jam packed week. It is, there's a lot going on. There's a lot happening. It is stressful. Y'all take a, take a step back, take a breath, have a cup of tea, have a beer, whatever you need, do it, take care of yourselves and we'll take care of the football for you. Exactly. So this week, uh, this Thursday night football matchup against the 49ers, we'll talk a li- bit more later on in the show. But it was a, uh, it was kind of a an, an insuspect game this week, whether or not it would take place with uh, AJ Dillon getting tested positive for COVID, and then Jamal Williams and Kamal Martin uh, having high risk close contact with Dillon. Uh, so those three players will not be in the game for the Packers. But then also news came through today that the San Francisco 49ers wide receiver Kendrick Bourne also tested positive and they shut down their team facility today. Um, so certainly an interesting sign. I was definitely watching Twitter today being Wednesday. Uh, the plane was taking off from Green Bay at 4.15 Central Time. It did take off. So it's literally in the air right now as we record the podcast yeah and they could maybe tweet up to them like hey turn around jk we're not having a game but everything's looking like uh thursday is going to be a go tomorrow and i mean i think the nfl is going to do everything in their power to have this game unlike earlier in the season where they any sign of covid and they were postponing games or delaying games this one they're not um and i think part of it is the number of teams that have been affected by covid this week 
It's been the Packers, the 49ers, the Broncos front office, head cases, Jim Elway, get or yeah, Elway, right? John Elway, get better soon, and Jim somebody. I forgot who he was. Anyway, their front office, big wigs, have COVID. The Ravens have COVID. The Cleveland Browns, I believe, had a COVID scare, although I haven't heard that they had any positive tests, just suspected symptoms. Or, um, one of their players had COVID-like symptoms. And then we haven't heard anything after that. So they're going full steam ahead. I would not rule out that we get up to seven. Let's see, kickoff is what, 820? Mm -hmm. I would not rule out that we get to about 6, 630, maybe five or six. And they say, don't come to the facility. We need to not have this game. I think a lot of this is going to come down to... um, San Francisco has had the one positive test. They haven't been able to get full a, a full clear negative day. So Tuesday, so Packers had the test. It was the um, AJ Dillon's test actually took place Sunday before the game. They got the results Monday morning. Had no no one really at the facility. I think a few players came in for treatments and things like that, but they were staggered. They were small groups, extreme distancing. But then Tuesday morning they got the results. Everybody was negative. And so they can are continuing forward. Everyone's still testing negative. San Francisco hasn't cleared a, a hasn't had a clean day yet. Mm-hmm. Um, They'll get a clean day sometime anticipated before kickoff. They will. And if they don't have a clean slate, I could see this game getting tanked, well, which would be fascinating. That that's really the question: the will we, won't we have this game? And uh, we'll talk a bit more about the X's and O's of the game later on in the podcast. But definitely something to keep an eye on, and a headline coming into this week for the Packers. Absolutely, and it has all of this news about COVID has drowned out the fact that this week, yesterday even, was the trading deadline, and the one thing. A lot of Packers fans and Packers reporters were were, were kind of jonesing for, if you uh, don't mind my use of the verb, was a, a trade with the Texans for, for Wolf Fuller, the wide receiver. Uh, that did not happen. The Texans apparently wanted a second-round pick. The Packers were only willing to give a fourth. Those are not equivalent in any way, shape, or form. And nobody's coming to the Packers, at least by a trade. So... Yep, and it's one of these cases where we're going to see an interesting game tomorrow if it does go, and we'll talk a bit more about the injury front on both sides later on in the episode. Uh, But for right now, let's uh, talk about the past week that was for the NFL. Uh, We had an interesting slate of games this week. Uh, There were a couple upsets in this week's uh, matchups. Besides our game. Besides our game. Ours included, but we'll talk about that too. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals beat the Tennessee Titans 31-20. to And Joe Burrow had a really nice game with 250 yards passing, two touchdowns. But really the skill shown uh, in this game for Burrow was his mobility and escapability navigating the pocket throughout the game. Uh, then uh, another upset was in his debut to a Tagovailoa. And the Dolphins beat the Los Angeles Rams 28-17. to well, Tua's performance was subpar. Uh, the team was bevied by a defensive touchdown and a special teams touchdown off of a return from Jakeem Grant. Uh, and really, we got to see two of the top quarterbacks in the league have, uh, uh, in this past year's draft uh, have good uh, wins uh, this week. 
Yeah, and the two to one was especially interesting because was it, one of his first passes was a pick, mm. and so that's not how you want to start your NFL career. But he, it seemed after that he at least had no more horrendous mistakes like that one, even if it was not a stellar, a stellar performance in, the, in a la Joe Burrow for for rookies. Mm-hmm. Certainly so. And then of course we got to check in on our NFC North fellow teams. Uh, the Lions fall to three and four against the. Colts, uh, the final score in that game was 21-41. In additional news that broke today, Matthew Stafford was put on the COVID reserve list uh, for a close contact, uh, and there's pending negative tests, and he could play on Sunday if he clears negative tests. Uh, But for a team that recently traded Everson Griffin uh, for Everson Griffin from Dallas, it's not the greatest look when you lose another game. You have your fourth loss. You might have to be without your quarterback for a week. Certainly not a great position for the Lions to be in. No, they have a tough week ahead of them, and they're lucky enough to have all seven days to get ready for it. Um, but on the bright side, the Bears also lost. Thank you, New Orleans Saints. Um, that was a gift. The game went to overtime. Very exciting. Um, I believe I fell asleep during it because it was the, it was the night game, right? Or a late game? Late game. You might have taken a little nap. I took uh, a nap. I was tired. That's what it was. (laughs) I had, I went to bed before the game was over and I may have fallen asleep. Yes. It was like eight (laughs) o'clock. Yes. Uh, the bears did win 26, 23 and overtime as Sarah mentioned, one of the weird things that came out today, Wednesday, was actually Trubisky was in the game here for one play on a read option uh, sort of running play and actually injured his shoulder, apparently. Uh, so that further cements Nick Foles' status as the starter. Um, but it, it's just another thing for the Bears. Uh, and I'm really going to be curious how the Bears and the Packers match up because it, it everyone in the league, I think, thinks the Bears are not a great team, but they still have five wins, as do the Packers. And I think we'll really see the caliber of both the Packers and the Bears in their head-to-head matchups. I think we will. And one interesting thing about the Bears is that I feel like we didn't believe in them. We, like, no one believed in them. No one believed in them. No one believed in them. And we were just starting to believe in them. And it almost seems like now they start to stumble. <laughs> so I don't know what it is, but if I guess if we believe they'll lose. Um, sorry, Bear, Bears fans, that's a fairly rough fate. Yeah, certainly so. And then uh, elsewhere in the league, you also had some tight uh, interdivisional matchups, including the Steelers uh, beating the Baltimore Ravens 28-24. to They remain the only undefeated team. Remain the only undefeated but team. not the only team with a perfect schedule. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but, indeed, uh, there was also another good interdivisional matchup uh, with the Seahawks beating the 49ers 37-27, to uh, albeit this game was really never close. Uh, the 49ers did uh, score 20 points in the fourth quarter, when the team uh, lost Jimmy Garoppolo to injury and Nick Mullins actually came in and led much of that point scoring for the 49ers. And then, of course, everyone's favorite American team, uh, the Dallas Cowboys lost to the Philadelphia Eagles uh, 23-9. The Eagles are 
firmly cemented in first place in the NFC East with a record of three, four, and one. Um, any other games or uh, items that you would like to bring out from this week's slate of NFL games? You know, seeing the Eagles at three, four, and one, it really makes you wonder if they could make the playoffs with six wins in the NFC East this year. It is entirely plausible. They're halfway home. <laughs> <laughs> if, you know, um, we, you know, sitting here at what? At the beginning of week nine, so we've played eight weeks so far. Um, you know, six wins might do it in the NFC East, which means everyone still has a shot. Um, on the flip side, the NFC West, uh, four and four puts you at the bottom of that division, which is where our, our next week's the 49ers are. Um, but before we get to that, we really do have to talk about this past week. As much as you can tell, we don't want to, as we've clearly turned the page because partly because it's a short week and partly because that was a page that needed to be turned fast. Um, this weekend did not go how we hoped. Um, we knew what we need. Everyone knew what needed to happen for the Packers to win. Stop Delvin Cook uh, <laughs> and keep it clean. And neither of those things happened. Uh, they had no answers for Delvin Cook, who had over 200 offensive yards, was like almost the entire offense alone. And uh, the Packers had the most penalties I think we've seen all season um, with with this particular officiating crew. So it was not how you want the game to be executed. And yet, it's what happened. They yeah. had a chance at the end, which is all you can ask for. And much like how the rest of the game went, uh, it flopped. Certainly so. And I think uh, that's a great transition into talking about the Minnesota Vikings versus the Packers. And you're right uh, in talking about their the Minnesota Vikings offense. This was really a one-man wrecking show in Dalvin Cook versus the rest of our team. We did talk about uh, this on last week's podcast where it's a weakness in the Packers game uh, with the running game. We thought Dalvin Cook might be out. He turned out to be in, uh, and he really was the difference he was maker. He was the entire Vikings offense, and he really destroyed our defense. Well, you look at rushing. He had 163 yards. Only between the two other rushing running backs, they had 10 yards total. Even in the receiving game, he had nearly three times as many yards as the next next receiver, who was Adam Thielen with 27 yards. Um, yeah, it was the Dalvin Cook show, and it did not go well for the Packers. Um, and on the, you know, we we also talked about after the Texans game how they were looking like they might be starting to get a handle on the running. On, on, on stopping the run, but clearly they have not. And it came down to a lot of different things. So I guess, do we want to start with the defense? And I, I mean, I think one of the things we can start with, at least with talking about Dalvin Cook, is uh, tackling. I mean, per yes. the pro football focus grading system, the Packers are apparently the worst tackling team in football this year which yes. I kind of believe uh, I was kind of wondering in musings when thinking about this game that there, I do wonder if personnel on defense is uh, a problem. And I don't necessarily mean one player. I mean, the types of players that are out there, we do run a lot of three man defensive line fronts and we, we do. do run a lot of six DB looks. 
And when you got those smaller guys that are more for coverage, they probably struggle more with tackling guys like Dalvin Cook. And okay. I do wa- I do wonder if more sub packages need to be included in uh, Mike Pettin's defense, especially when addressing the running game. Well, and part of it was um, I forgot who said it. Might have been Adrian Amos during his um, post game press conference. But you know they're not shedding blocks. They're not getting beyond being blocked. And you know part of it might be you know part of that probably does come from um, mismatches in size. Um, between the defense and the offense, but then another element in this game was definitely probably, especially at the end, was fatigue. Um, I believe the starting players, 10 of the 11 starting players played more than 70% of the stats was one of the statistics that came out of the game during the, actually, the Packers unscripted podcast. And that's insane. That is a ton of, um, you know, that is a ton of snaps to play without, without rest. And if you have that many players, and there's a bit of a mismatch in size and strength, you're not going to, you need to take a breather. Like that's, that's just it. Like you're not going to be able to play 110% every single snap. Um, but they're getting like, and the other thing is, is that they're getting in the backfield, which is step one, but they're not, they're not finishing. Um, and that was an, an interesting stat that came up in several of the press conferences this week that the Packers got either got to the the running back um so they got to delvin cook 10 or 12 times either at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage and then missed and you can't miss you have to take advantage of those opportunities and you know if that means instead of being a tackle for loss you let him have one or two yards as you slow him up so that other players can help you tackle um and you gain tackle um that's what you have to do and it's okay to lose one or two yards because it's a 10 million times worse to have gone for the tackle for loss, trying to do more than your 111th and miss the tackle, which happened multiple times in this game. And then he breaks for eight or nine or 11 or 12 or 50 yards on like on the screen cap that he thinks for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I would say one highlight though on defense is Adrian Amos. Um, the, the amount of heart, and effort he puts in is just off the charts. He was one of the only players chasing Dalvin Cook the entire length of the field on that screen, pat, that the long touchdown. He was key at getting a third down stop on Dalvin Cook by getting into the backfield and making that tackle. And not, you know, doing that kind of jump thing where you're like, I'm going to reach for the running back. No, he hit the running back. Um, and he just plays... You know, whether it's, you know, breaking up passes, uh, getting, you know, getting fumble recoveries like last week or doing the hard work behind the line of scrimmage. He is just a player that is really, I think, showing not only his skill and his professionalism and ability on the field, but also his leadership in the locker room, which it hasn't been as apparent um, in his first first couple of years in Green Bay and is really just starting to grow and show. Yeah, certainly so. And with uh, seven tackles this week and getting one tackle for a loss, he was one of the guys that was showing how you hit running backs a little bit more. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely agree with everything that was said there. Uh, it was good to see Dean Lowry get kind of a freebie sack on a uh, sort of 
missed assignment uh, by the Vikings. Clear uh, miscommunication on the line on that play. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and outside of that, I mean, there really wasn't too much on defense to write home about. Um, no, besides there were the... some terrible calls and some other weird things, but we don't want to write home about those. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I guess maybe we can transition to a little bit of, in talking about the officiating in this game uh, before we talk about the offense of the Packers. It really was a game where the Packers were really hurt uh, by officiating. And, you know, the saying is always play better than the refs ref. Uh, in this week, the Packers did not do that. They had nine total penalties for 85 yards for the Vikings. Uh, and that was consequential throughout the game. However, uh, some of the penalty calls were very questionable. Uh, one I'm thinking of in particular was on a first down play uh, calling holding on Mercedes Lewis where he maybe held on a quarter of a second more than he should have when blocking for uh, the play. Um, but it, it's just tough to see some of those because those feel consequential in a game like this. And especially in both of the Packers losses this year, momentum has been a big thing. Uh, and penalties like that really kill your momentum when the other team is just really performing well in the running game. And another good example of a not not great calls came to pass interference calls. Um, there was one called on Jair Alexander that was really question was very borderline. Um, but you're like, you know, I guess I can see it. Okay. Um, but then I forget how much later in the game it was, a very similar play in more egregious PI was occurred on uh, Robert Tanyan on a key fourth down play, and uh, nothing was called. They put flew the flag um, and then picked it up and said, never mind. And it's things like that that it's, it's you know what, if you're going to call every little thing, call every little thing on both teams. If you aren't going to call every little thing and you're going to just kind of when you feel like it, stop. Like it's stuff. It, it's consistency, you know, one way or the other. I don't really care which way it goes, um, but just be consistent. And it didn't feel very consistent on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Completely agree. So, in talking about the Packers' offensive attack, uh, there are a few things to talk about here. Obviously, the connection with Devonte Adams is still running really well. He caught three touchdown passes, all of the touchdowns for the Packers. Um, I also thought we saw a few good flashes from A.J. Dillon. Mm -hmm. uh, he did get a series of downs and had a string of productive plays in the second quarter. He had a seven-yard run, an eight-yard run, a 16-yard pass. Uh, and I think we are seeing some flashes of talent. It's unfortunate that we won't be seeing A.J. or Jamal this next week against the 49ers. It very much won't be. Um, I think the other thing that you have to be kind of in, in tandem with that, it was uh, Jamal Williams, another 70-plus yard rushing um, performance from him, from Jamal. And, you know, it's it's like we said last week, he's not – his longest run was 10 yards. <laughs> you know, that's not something you're going to write home about. But the fact that he is continually producing, he had nearly a five-yard average. You know, that's first downs. Like, that is just productive, grinded out. And I think that really showed in the Packers' time of possession. Their first two possessions – took what was it nearly 17 minutes mm -hmm. and two possessions like that's wild yeah and i think also the big factor in this game along with that was the weather conditions it was extremely windy in this game 
uh, kickers were having a ridiculously tough time making uh, field goals and warm-ups. Uh, balls were turning, <laughs> they were, twisting, they were diving, ducking uh, all over the place uh, when trying to kick field goals. And Mason was coming off a little bit of a back problem. Um, and that resulted in a lot of fourth downs. And it also resulted in a lot of more slow, methodical drives of short passes, check downs, a lot more running, uh, that sort of time of con- time of possession control kind of game. And we saw that throughout the first half with the Vikings and the Packers exchanging touchdown for touchdown blows throughout the first four drives of the game. Yeah, and then when you did see those penalties start to occur, you know, that eliminated the, that type of game and you had to see the Packers go to something else, which um, they had really mixed success with. I mean, they had some great big plays. Robert Tanyan had a 45-yard catch. Um, Malik Taylor had a 26-yard catch. Jay Sternberger had a 27-yard catch. So they, had, they made some big plays, but it's just harder under conditions like that because um, the ball does, you know, have a tendency to shift a little bit in the air. Um, also on special teams, you saw a lot of squid kicks, which is weird to see. Part of it was because uh, J.K. Scott was taking kickoff duties, so Mason Crosby had one less strain on on his on his back, literally. Um, and so that was part of it, but it was also part partly due to the weather. Um, Aaron Rodgers remarked in his press conference how this was probably one of the in the top three for the most for the windiest games he's played in. And so, you know, you can't just rely on, like, the weather station forecast down the road, but it all has to do with the stadium, the stadium conditions, and how the the building and facility funnel or block the wind as it's coming in. And they were feeling it on the field. And so you can have really windy days, and it it won't hit the field the same way. But this one hit the field, and it affected lots of aspects. And and Aaron's talked about before in Lambeau, there's definitely a swirl that type of, that kind of happens as far as wind conditions go. And it, it, it was evident to Sean Manega, uh, the special teams coordinator uh, said this was probably the toughest game he's ever coached in, in mm -hmm. terms of special teams play goes. And it, it's one of those games where you, you make the adjustments and for the most part, the Packers did, uh, out of necessity, they did go for the five fourth downs. They ended up being three and five out of that. Uh, J.K. Scott, uh, as far as the returns go on the squib kicks, uh, the special teams unit did cover all of the kicks fairly well. Mm-hmm. I didn't really have any complaints on that side of the ball in particular. No, I thought special teams did did really well given the conditions. <laughs> um, but offense, you know they did great in the first half but that's just it is this team we've seen multiple times where where they have a lull at some point in the game they had you know the three drives where they went three and out against the texans and now here we go again in the third quarter the packers couldn't couldn't complete a drive and part of it was you know a couple drop passes by uh, equanimous st brown and then in the same series um same set of downs uh, a couple missed plays with tyler Irvin. And you just you can't do that in a game like this that is literally every possession counts in an unbelievable way when there's so few possessions. Each of them takes a ton of time off the clock and your defense isn't stopping the run. And we just, you know, there was there was definitely problems with execution. And, you know, looking back, 
St. Brown was targeted three times, and he he finally came down with his first catch since coming back, I, I believe. Um, I went back and looked, and he... It was an important catch, too, it because it was on because... one of those fourth down conversions uh, that he did make that catch. Yeah, but he had missed one on a previous set of downs, and yeah. so... He had had th- he had three targets and the one catch for the one conversion this past week. But the week before he didn't get any targets, and the week before that against the Bucks he had two targets and he didn't catch either of those. So he is having a rough time coming back. And you know I kind of wonder he had the two drops and then he finally got a catch and that was the last time he was targeted in this week's game. You kind of wonder and hope that that broke the ice and maybe now we kind of can start to see. EQ have the production that he had, you know, before injury. Granted, that's that's over a season ago at this point due to injuries last year. But it's just it's a little it's hard to watch. But you know, you know the coaches have faith in him. You know if Aaron Rodgers is going back to him, he he Aaron has faith in him. Yeah, and and you have to think he must be performing in practice, which we don't see. And it it's gonna sound ironic, and Packers fans will probably cringe at me saying this, but Aaron Rodgers has said it as well. EQ is really good in the sense that he's a hands catcher. He doesn't need to catch a ball with his body in any way. He does uh, have a wider radius. Um, the cringe parts of that are the two catches he did uh, miss uh, in this game. It was right on his hands. It was sort of surviving things to the ground. Uh, EQ, I'm sure, would say he needs to catch both of those. Um, but it is also coming back from injury after a long time not seeing game action, breaking down some rust likely. Um, and also getting used to this is a new offense for him. Yeah. When he started playing, Mike McCarthy was still the coach. <laughs> so there's there's a lot going on there, and you know there's potential, but it, it hasn't yet translated to the game. And so, you know, I think if that can happen – I think a lot of these questionings about wide receivers and needing more and blah, 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 will go out the window. But between injuries and, and time needed for development, it's, it's, it's been a position with just uncertainty at it. And I feel like fans put an overemphasis on wide receivers because they make the big plays almost every game. Um, you know, you could put the same type of scrutiny under any position, but it feels like fans tend to put this kind of scrutiny, especially on wide receivers. Um, and you have to think it's because of those big plays. Yeah, definitely so. Um, I, I'm feeling pretty good as far as our recap of this game. Is there anything out of this game? What's, what's one lesson you think the Packers should take out of this game? Oh my gosh. One lesson I would say is gain tackle. I feel like so much on defense is is I'm and I don't know if it's the plays, if it's the effort, if it's the but they need to swarm the football. And and you know if that means you know what, you're only in you know two downs at on on a series, okay. Like if that's if that's what it takes for you to be fresh enough to be swarming on the ball and and getting that I think that's the lesson that we need to take from this because I think it all stems from from improved tackling. And if that, you know, if they can improve their tackling, they can stop their run on defense. If they can stop their run on defense, they be- can begin to get sacks and tackles for loss and turnovers. And if they can do that, they take some pressure off the offense to need to be perfect, which the offense would have needed to be nearly perfect on Sunday, and they weren't to win. 
Yeah, and I'm going to echo that too. I think that's a great lesson. I I think my other lesson would just be play with edge. Uh, really have that attitude. Um, what was great about last year and why we kind of fell in love with the Smith brothers were not only the sacks, but sort of the attitude and energy they brought. Um, the Packers this year have not been getting as many turnovers, haven't been getting as many sacks. And I think, like, let it be a building thing. If you have a great play on defense, really show your energy with it. I don't care if it comes off as, like, showboaty or, like, uh, like trying to, like, show someone up. Having that energy on the good plays you do have and being able to build off of that, I think, is something I'd like to see a little bit more of out of this team. Okay, uh, putting that loss in the bed, we're done. We're done with the Vikings for the year. And now we are going to move forward to this next game that we got tomorrow, Thursday, Thursday Night Football. We uh, think we do. We think we, we do. We hope we do. We hope we do. Uh, and it's a champion, uh, NFC Championship rematch from last year, although these teams look much different now. Um, and one fun stat I heard today is yeah. that I think there is, is it one starter left for the San Francisco 49ers will take the field from the NFC oh, championship. Game? I, I, that sounds true. Um, <laughs> I can't well, remember if it was one starter on offense or one starter, like period, but either way it gives you an indication of how, I mean, we know the Packers are beat up. We've looked yeah. at their injury list. Um, it is, it has been nearly, it has been a third of the team. For a couple of weeks here um the san francisco 49ers are not in much better of a boat instead of having an injury list though they just have a bunch of folks on ir yeah and <laughs> it, it hurts for them too because in their game against seattle last week they had garoppolo and kittle go out and they learned during the course of the week both of those folks will be on ir for a while um so it's tough uh 49ers find themselves in the basement of the nfc west uh, and this is kind of a wake-up game for either the Packers or the 49ers. Uh, the Packers are favored by five and a half, uh, and the over/under is set at 49 and a half for this game. Um, and as we mentioned, Kittle, Garoppolo out. Tevin Coleman's also likely out. Debo Samuel, as well, is also out for the Packers. The likes of Kevin King, Jamal Williams, AJ Dillon, Kamal Martin are all going to be out for this game. As are Will Redmond and Vernon Scott. Thank you. Uh, and then we have uh, the big ones to watch for the Packers on the injury front are if Aaron Jones can go, uh, if David Bakhtiari can go. Uh, Aaron Jones did have a couple quotes come out today. He says he feels like he's ready to go. He feels like he's been ready to go for a little while now. Um, Packers have practiced an abundance of caution with injuries before. I think because I don't of, think you get a choice this week. I don't think you do, and that's where I was headed. I think with Jamal Williams and AJ Dillon out, I do think it's a situation where Aaron Jones will probably find the field this week and suit up again. Yeah, and I think on the other side is um, the other player to watch as as far as potentially coming back is David Bakhtiari, and I think he may be one to watch more closely. And I think they might bring him back sooner because Rick Wagner um, apparently sustained a knee injury. Uh, Sunday it it was he played the whole game but um, he did not practice he was rated as not practicing on Monday um, and then rated as limited participant uh, yesterday and today 
Um, but he he's rated as questionable, but it kind of sounds like that's a that's a very iffy questionable. Um, so you and and Bakhtiari did come back to well was rated to have come back to practice. We say rated because the Packers did not hold real practices Monday, clearly because of the COVID situation that they're dealing we're dealing with are dealing with. And they are only doing walkthroughs uh, yesterday and today. So we don't really see a practice this week because it is a short week. Um, but but these are estimations. And, and you have to, you know, they're an estimation. So we don't know for sure, but we'll take it. We take it as we take it. Yeah, certainly so. And it'll be interesting. Uh, I'm excited for this game. I'm excited for the rematch of the NFC Championship game. I do think you never count out the 49ers because they have Kyle Shanahan as the head coach uh, in a year when he had CJ Beathard and uh, Nick Mullins playing a majority of the games for the San Francisco 49ers. He always found a way to keep games tight uh, with lackluster talent on the field in terms of his starters and the situation where they find themselves now with Garoppolo out with, Kittle out with Nick Bosa out, who was a uh, game. D Ford also out. He yep. got a couple sacks. Yep. Rogers last uh, year. Th- these are all guys that we saw as really game wreckers uh, when the Packers last played this team. Uh, same with Raheem Mostert, Tevin Coleman. We haven't seen Tevin Coleman, but is rated to be out as well. It's, it's just one of these games where you're going to see, you're gonna see players, and you're gonna be like, "Who the hell is that?" Exactly, and, and you're gonna and you're gonna really have a chess match of coaching and a chess match of execution, because all of it does come down to execution when you have maybe less talent on the field. It absolutely does, and it's gonna be really interesting to see how both teams bounce back. They both had tough losses this last week. Um, neither wants to have two in, two losses in a row. The 49ers, if they have another loss, they they really are nearly out of their division, and and given that they would be at, there at the bottom of their division, um, their odds of getting even a wild card, even with three wild card slots this year, just just begins to look dismal. And the Packers, you just don't want to have two losses in a row. You <laughs> you really don't, um, especially to stay on top of the NFC North. And, you know, we, we saw the Vikings show up this past week. And if they keep, start to do that, they could turn the script on this. And, and who knows what might happen? I mean, it is 2020 after all. Yeah, certainly so. So what what's your sort of thought on how this game will go overall for the team? You know, I, I can see this as just really being a, a game where the Packers exercise a lot of their demons. Last year, they went to San Francisco. They got to go to the San Francisco. Well, not really San, San Francisco. Santa Clara. The stadium is just an hour and some change south of San Francisco if traffic's good. Um, and they lost. They lost 37 to 8 and then 37 to 20. And so, you know, is the magic number 38 points? Um, we know that this offense this year is capable of that. Is that what it will take? I hope not. Um, that's a dramatic game, 37-38. Whew. But um, it's, this is a hard game to get a read on. Um, the Packers have, have definitely had their demons in Santa Clara. And the 49ers have been able to cobble together 
you know, not a lot of talent into a lot of production and on both sides of the ball. And so you kind of just wonder, like, this game really anything could happen. Mm. Um, it's going to be an exciting night and, and yet another night where I stay up way too late when I have to go to work the next day. Very true. Um, okay, I'm going to ask you in a second what your final prediction is after I give my final prediction. I, I think a big thing in this game is going to be defense. I think the defense was, as Mike Patton said in his presser, admittedly flat. Um, I think they know that. I think it's on the coaches this week to really put a fire under their ass. Uh, they still have the narrative lurking over them of being run over by the 49ers in the NFC Championship game. I think really to exercise those demons, as you say, Defense is going to have to dominate, and I think mm-hmm. that is going to be the case. I don't think the 49ers go without points, but I think it'll be a case where it ends up being a 17 points for the 49ers where the Packers score in the neighborhood of 28 to 30, uh, and that'll be my prediction. What about you? You know, I kind of wonder if it just won't be 38-37 because that just seems to be San Francisco's number against us. I mean, I don't know if trends from last year are going to hold, but I'm going to go with it because it looks poetic uh, if the 49ers score 37 points every time and we can finally pull out a W. So I'm going to make that my prediction. Not really based on anything at all. I actually do agree with you. I think this is going to be more of a, a defensive grudge match. And it's who's going to be able to eke out enough points. And I think the score is probably going to be way lower than that this week. But I'm going to go with it because why not? Yep. <laughs> All right. And to wrap up our show, we're going to give you our underrated story of the week and our dumpster fire story of the week. Uh, and the dumpster fire of the week uh, is really, to me, just I'm hating having to read the stories of Antonio Brown being reinstated to the NFL and coming to, of all places, play with Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is a guy who... He's toxic. He's toxic. He's gotten a dozen double chances. That doesn't mean you shouldn't get another one. But it's one of these things where he... I don't think he's learned anything. And that's really the tough thing to kind of feel when a player like this is reinstated to the league again. Yeah. He he is toxic. He creates issues and he he hasn't done the work of of getting getting beyond that and so you know you kind of wonder you know I think Bruce Arians and Tom Brady think that they can fix him but I don't think he's fixable and I kind of wonder if it doesn't make the Buccaneers tank and 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 fall out of they're, they're kind of commanding, commanding. I mean, they're in a control street right now in the NFC South. Um, you know, I think he has a ton of, Antonio Brown has a ton of skill and a ton of talent, but he is not a personality that you want in your locker room. And I kind of wonder if he just doesn't, you know, they've carefully starting to put something together there. And he is the type of player that could blast it all apart. Um, I could see the Patriots, or not the Patriots, the Buccaneers. Freudian slip. Yep, you know, Brady, Patriots, they're just associated forever. Um, but, you know, I could see the Buccaneers, with having him on the roster, just all of a sudden, just things fall apart. And at that point, you know, they wins, wins will stop happening. 
Yep, exactly. And then uh, finally, we should uh, end on a high note for the episode. So we're doing our underrated stories of the week. Uh, and of course, since it is election week in the U.S., we got to give some kudos to a couple different teams uh, at uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers at the Allegheny County uh, ballot counting site uh, in Pittsburgh. The Steelers are buying everyone dinner uh, for all the poll workers there doing the hard work of counting the ballots in a state where it's going to take some time to count the ballots. So really kudos to the Steelers. And then, of course, to Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, they were one of the teams to turn their stadium into an Election Day voting site. Uh, but the election board originally said no to that because they didn't have voting machines. But Mahomes and the Chiefs stepped up made a six-figure investment to buy the voting machines and really put uh, the country first with trying to get all these votes collected, counted, tabulated, all that good stuff. And when you're a half-billion-dollar man, you can afford to do that. And it's it's good to see that he, that, that Patrick Mahomes is, is doing stuff like that. That's that's really important. And the Packers, they, you know, they stepped up, stepped up as well for to the support election efforts. Um, Lafleur taking part in the broader NFL in initiative to, to NFL votes. Um, you probably saw him in some commercials this past weekend, uh, telling you to get out and vote. Um, but then they also also offered up their facilities as a polling location. Initially, they wanted to use the stadium, but given the configuration of things, that wouldn't work. So they got the next best thing. They got the tailgate village. Um, so nothing like casting your vote in in a tailgate. Hopefully, they let you leave with a brat and a beer. Probably not, but that's a nice thought to have. And one last thought I want to put out there is that yesterday, election day, was Matt LaFleur's birthday. And so happy birthday to our coach. And I really hope this team can deliver you a W um, for you this week. There you go. Wonderful end to the show. And with that, of course, have a great week. Stay kind to each other. And of course, go pack, go.